Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blackwood Show. The Black, the Black, the Black, Black. Welcome to the Blackwood Show. I'm Taylor Blackwood, and this is my show. Coming at you guys today with a little news rundown. The day is October 5th. It's a Monday. I'm doing this after markets closed. A little bit later, 6.30 here in Arizona when I'm recording this. So the markets are closed. Let's see what happened. The Dow Jones is up 1.68%. S&P was up 1.8%. And the NASDAQ up 2.32%. Let's see where I ended up for the day. I ended up 2.4%. There we go. So a good little day for me in the stock market. Normally I tie pretty closely what the NASDAQ does because as of speaking right now, about 40% of my portfolio is in Apple and Amazon. Um, so I tend to kind of mirror what happens with uh, the NASDAQ in typical days, but I like to outperform it, right? Because I have such concentrated positions. Otherwise I sh- should just be in the index. So typically I outperform it because I have some other like random picks and uh, I'll get into that in another podcast, but anyways, yeah, so I outperformed just barely today. So I'm happy with that. Uh, any day with some green in the stock market's a good day. It's been a rough couple weeks, even like a month. You know, I really got hit hard when all the tech stocks went down. I mean, that's part of it, right? The, the higher you rise, the lower you can fall, but yeah, we've, we fell down pretty quick, but it's recovered kind of nicely. And I continue to be bullish about what's going on. A little side note before we get into the news rundown, um, found out about something really cool through Fidelity, and it's where they allow you to loan certain of your stocks to other people through Fidelity who are like shorting the stock and things like that. So if you have a stock that's in a big short position or in high demand and Fidelity can't, for some reason, I don't know why, can't meet the the needs of liquidity on their own, then they actually borrow shares from their users. So right now I signed up for it last Friday, it went active today. And so far I have two of my stocks on loan. I have Nikola is on loan and uh, Mesoblast is on loan, which is another small position I have in like, a, they do like a, uh, biotech, right? So anyways, it's on loan as well. Interestingly, when they floated it to me, they wanted my CureVac stock, which is one that I really like. It's uh, again, can't give investment advice on this podcast for entertainment purposes only, but CureVac is uh, in the race for the vaccine, but it's backed by Bill Gates and Elon Musk. So that's one that I've really been watching at CVAC, uh, C-V-A-C is the ticker. So CureVac and it's been down a little bit since I opened a position in it, but I'm kind of a believer in it when I did a little bit of DD and I opened a, a moderate position, moderate to small position for me, just until I can research it more and, and listen to some of the earnings calls and learn more about their CEO and XYZ. But I tend to buy little positions and things based off my confidence and just to kind of watch them, have a little skin in the game and watch. Like for example, today I bought some tiny positions in Tesla and Snowflake and uh, what's this other one? Highly on holdings, right? I bought one share or no, I bought 700 bucks of that. Still pretty much nothing. Well, anyways, I bought a small position of that. So just so I kind of like to watch these stocks, right? It's kind of fun to have a little bit of skin in the game. Even if it's not a big percentage of your portfolio, just to be able to watch them move a little bit, it makes you pay closer attention. So if you want to learn about an industry, you know, you can even buy like if, if, if uh, one share were a lot of money, relative to your portfolio. It's like if you have a thousand dollar portfolio and you wanted to watch Tesla, which is trading at $425 a share as of today, then you could buy a fractional share of Tesla and maybe only put in like $10, depending on who you're buying it from. Right. So there's ways to buy it with like a small little bet just for fun and to kind of watch it and see where it goes. I wouldn't recommend letting too much of your portfolio get into those fun watch stocks, but it's something I have a habit of doing when I want to learn about something. So if something piques my interest from like a post I see in a forum or something like that, then I tend to kind of buy the stock and just watch in my portfolio. It makes you look at the news, the movement. XYZ, kind of understand more about it. 
So anyways, I have a position in CureVac going back to that. And they had floated that I'd get like a 36% annualized return for loaning the stock. And the counterparty is Fidelity. So Fidelity would have to go out of business for me to lose. So it's not that the the person that is taking a short position, maybe leveraged on the stock would be the one who could default and I'd lose my loan. It's actually Fidelity. Now you can't dictate to them which stocks you want on it. And I don't know the percentages for all these. So I can tell you guys real quick. So like the Mesoblast one, click on it here. Uh, lending interest rate is 14% for some of the shares and 10 per, almost 11% for the other shares. That's really good on an annualized basis. Again, you still own the stock in the meantime, so you're still exposed to the rises and falls in the stock, but you just get this extra income for it, quote unquote, being on loan, which is recallable anytime instantaneously. Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. It's 14% for Mesoblast and 10.6% for Nikola, so almost 11% for Nikola. So anyways, if you like a stock and you opt in this program, they might just turn out some free interest for you is another way of looking at it. So really look into that program. Uh, I'll, I'll look up the name and hopefully put it in the show notes. I don't want to drag down the podcast too much and go digging through my email for it right now. But there's an official name for it. It's essentially that they have a program you could ask a Fidelity advisor where they will lend the stock on your behalf with Fidelity as the counterparty so you don't have much risk. I'm, I'm a big fan of this. It's something I'm an advocate for so far from my research and talking to my rep about it. So anyways, let's bring it back home. The point of this episode is to do a news rundown. What a day, really, what a couple of weeks it's been in the news. I say a day, but geez, so much has happened since I did my last one of these. We obviously, most of it's going to be political. We had the presidential debates, which were a mess. Geez, did you guys watch that train wreck? I mean, no matter what side you're on in politics, there's there's got to be almost no one out there who's looking at that and saying, boy, that was such a great debate. <laughs> that went as good as it could have in terms of me learning new things and civility. And I'm really happy with the state of politics. Like, no, I'm so dissatisfied with the state of politics in the United States after watching that. Jeez, it's like watching two kindergartners go at it. No matter who your guy is in that fight, it just wasn't great. It makes you think real hard about third parties. <laughs> anyway, so what a disappointing debate. We didn't get much out of it. It was widely regarded as, as a big mess. But I did see today that uh, the polls show that it hurt Trump, that Biden kind of increased his lead to something significant. It might have been like 14% or something. So that's an interesting insight. Again, the point of bringing up politics on this show is that they do influence stocks, at least in the short term, right? And to some extent on the long term. So it is going to be very relevant to your portfolio and to your business and the different decisions and industries that you consider being an entrepreneur in based off of what's going on in the politics. Now, at the end of the day, I don't make gigantic decisions based around politics, but it does change a little bit about things like structure, how you might format your business. If you're considering uh, taking a company public or selling it or something like that, certainly politics and tax rates and, and speculate about what's going to happen would influence that. Um, different regulations you know, might influence you in and out of different businesses as well. So in industries that are really sensitive to that, uh, which fortunately, knock on wood, mine is not so far, but you, you might want to pay attention to politics for those reasons. And certainly the stock market flies around based off of politics. So it's always relevant to bring up what trades you might make that are good and bad, depending on who wins, right? Um, so for example, like if Biden wins, probably alternative energy does even better. You know, might look at solar companies again, like people did during the Obama era. And although there were some losers in that area and famously one that his administrative administration backed, uh, there was also a lot of winners, right? And, and favorable regulations that come through that would probably lead to outsized gains. Same with like Trump, where obviously you, wouldn't, you would want to invest in coal only if Trump were going to be the office uh, in the office or something like that. Um, cause obviously their fortunes would change a lot depending on who's there. Um, 
So anyways, that's that's why I like to talk about politics from time to time. The, the big news, though, is that Trump has COVID. So in case you're living in a cave or under a rock or something and didn't know this, Trump was positive for COVID-19. He is catching so much flack because he obviously has been kind of vocal about and not being a big deal, not wearing masks, X, Y, Z. The interesting thing about this for you guys on the business sense and the way Wall Street's probably watching this is how quickly it's spreading through the whole White House and how that might impact things like the lockdowns and things like this, because now it's very visible. You know, I saw a good argument in a forum the other day that President Trump's recovery or lack thereof from the virus uh, would really influence the way that lockdowns are run in the country. First of all, I think that anyone who doesn't stop and pause and say, boy, I wish this human being a speedy recovery from this evil virus is kind of in the wrong. I think you got to really check how heated you're getting in politics. When I read some of these forums and I see some really nasty things being said about him or, you know, wishing ill upon him or wishing him for a bad outcome um, because they don't agree with his politics or don't agree with how he's handled the coronavirus pandemic. Listen, that's a human being, you know, inflicted with a deadly disease. No matter what your politics are, I think we can all unite in wanting to see the president of the United States in good health. I mean, at least I think that's a somewhat reasonable position. So, that that's my opinion anyways, is I, I want to see everyone healthy, happy. I'd love to see this virus eradicated yesterday. And I think even a single life loss is too many with this thing. And, and you know, the president's a very important person, a very important office. I don't want to see anything bad happen to him. So, you know, it's in my heart that he uh, responds well to these treatments and that he uh, improves. Um, certainly that would be good for probably the stock market. That's something that it went way down on the news of his diagnosis on Friday and has rallied back up because it seems to be that he's doing well. So the top uh, news article here on the Wall Street Journal, Trump leaves hospital as cases rise among top aides. So again, this is sweeping through his speaker, who's really good at what she does. She's very well-spoken. Kaylee McKinney, I think is her name. I'm, I probably butchered that last name, McKinney. If you watch her in these, uh, well, it's a difficult position she's in. Anyone who uh, uh, has to be the mouthpiece for any president, let alone a president that's really volatile like Trump, has a very difficult job. And especially since he likes to take to Twitter and put out some crazy messages, she's just done a brilliant job of it. And I'd really encourage you to watch some of her YouTube videos of her responding to reporters, particularly her first press conference. She was well-educated, well-read, did a very good job. No matter what you think of the politics or what she's saying, you know, she did good in her role in defending and, and kind of being the mouthpiece for the administration. So apparently she has it today. That's a big deal because, you know, I think she typically doesn't wear a mask when she's speaking at the podium and she's in a room with a bunch of reporters. So does she spread it to them? X, Y, Z. There's been a lot of hoo-ha about that, but sweeping through the white house, this apparently started when one of his top aides had a diagnosis and that spread to all of them. Cause I think they were all in close proximity without masks, apparently when they were doing the Supreme court nomination. So anyways, crazy stuff going on with that. This is something to watch very closely. If you're in the stock market, what happens with his progression, it seems to be that he's in that majority of people who do conquer the virus easily. Uh, which is great news, right? Like I said, I don't, don't want to see anyone hurt by this virus. So it looks like he's going to recover, for, at least from what the White House is saying. There's obviously been mixed messages and there's lots of views to be had when you claim to have a good source saying that his prognosis has changed, right? But uh, it does appear that if you believe what their releases are saying, his doctors are saying, and the evidence of him leaving the hospital is that he's doing better and better, which is good for the stock market, let's say, right? Because we saw the stock market rally on that news today. Um, top things here. We have Q and a, what we know about his disease state. I'm not going to click on that and get into that one. Probably won't be that interested to uh, read you guys a Q and a. It's probably most of the things that you 
uh, already know about. Of course, he got every treatment under the sun, like you would expect for the president of the United States. He got every antiviral, apparently remdesivir. He got a, a dose of, I wonder how their stock did. I should have looked at that before this, but I bet remdesivir is up on the news that they chose to give it to the president. And that's a pretty big news for their product and for their, their pharma. Uh, it says Trump still faces risk. Biden and Trump swap roles. I don't know what that means. Anyways, I'm not going to click on those and bog down this news rundown too much. That's the crazy news. I'm sure you guys have heard about it and you're probably sick of hearing about it. And everyone and their mom's talking about the fact that he got diagnosed. I remember when I heard, I was like, no way. How can 2020 get any crazier? You know, the president of the United States has this pandemic now. It's just every time you think 2020 is slowing down, it just throws you another curveball. So there you have it. Uh, next article here, stocks close higher on signs of ebbing political risks. Investors appear cautiously optimistic that President Trump's health condition is improving and that former Vice President Joe Biden's rising lead in the polls means less uncertainty. The S&P 500 advanced 1.8%. So that's them signaling they don't mind uh, Biden being elected president. You know, famously, the polls were really wrong about Trump beating Hillary and he won despite being the underdog in the polls. And there are some people who are saying that's going on right now again. But boy, he, he is down in the polls a lot further right now than he was leading into the last election. Like there's a much bigger gap, which kind of spells bad for him. Right. Um, so anyways, the, what, what the stock market signaling is, they just want certainty. They don't want, what they don't want is a close election that gets contested. I would say is one thing that I see that lots of people are worrying about in investing circles. So if you start to believe it's more likely there's going to be a contested election or like all these allegations about voter fraud and mail-in ballots and things, uh, no matter what you think of the politics of that, that uncertainty could really cost everyone. The stock market could be a real problem. So anyways, keep an eye on that. Let's see, JP Morgan probe revived by regulators data mining. Investigators probing whether trades at JP Morgan Chase rigged silver prices seven years ago decided there was no case to bring. Last week, the same agency hammered the mega bank with a $920 million fine. So apparently they went back in their stats according to this or into their uh, data and found where they could prove the case. $920 million was a record-breaking fine apparently. It was a big deal when that news broke last week. That was really fascinating. Uh, I'm a big fan of JP Morgan Chase. If you're trying to pick a bank stock, uh, I think that Jamie Dimon is just a stud. If you're a businessman, you should really look into watching some of his YouTube videos where he speaks, uh, reading whatever he, types of things he puts out. He does great. Uh, um, what, what is the word I'm looking for? Like uh, conference calls about the... Um, uh, like the end of the quarters. Jeez, why am I drawing up? earnings calls? Yeah, he does a great job on his earnings calls. He is so good to listen to. And as a business person, I really respect him. What a great career he's had. He's really changed the face of banking. And, and JP Morgan has just responded brilliantly under his leadership, even through the crises. Like in 2008, famously, lots of people don't know, but famously, when all the banks needed the bailout, the government came to all the banks and said, we want all of you to take this, even if you don't need it. So JP Morgan didn't need it. And they took the bailout just because the government said, hey, we don't want to signal uncertainty in any one of you. So if you all take it as a group, then no one will bail out on the ones that really do need it. So if that makes sense, they didn't want a run on the bank and another bank to fall because of investor uncertainty and people fleeing the bank stock or something like that for the other ones. So they uh, they had everyone take it. Famously, JP Morgan didn't even need it. You know, that's kind of the balance sheet that he had grown up. And even though I think they had some exposure to subprime mortgages and things like that, they came through it pretty well. So I really admire him. I admire his leadership skills. Apparently, he's just a great person to work for. He had a health scare at the end of last year that caused me to sell my stock in conjunction with the coronavirus. I didn't like the the fortunes of banks. And sure enough, I was right about that. I rotated out of banks and heavier into tech, which was just a brilliant investing move in hindsight. <laughs> I'm bragging about it. Apparently, I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back for you guys. 
<laughs> I sound like such a, yeah. Anyways, it's not like a braggart there. God, I gotta get used to not cussing. It's difficult on this podcast. But anyways, I sound like I'm bragging about it, but really it was a smart move. That's the only reason I left that company is because of the big forces going on in the economy, not because of any opinion I have of Jamie Dimon or his leadership at the bank or JP Morgan's future. And in fact, now that they got beaten down, I'm going to look at the stock again and reopening a position towards the end of the year. Anyways, uh, they did have to pay a big fine. So that's kind of fun to read about for you people who want to see about big fines and why they get driven. That finds, you know, I watched that show billions and his lawyers giving him, you know, it's about a billionaire runs a hedge fund and his lawyers give him advice. He goes, fines are a fact of life, you know, seem as like a speeding ticket. And uh, what you really want to avoid is like jail is the point of this dramatic show. Right. But it is kind of true that all these banks, all these different big businesses, just everyone gets fined. So it's this really ugly PR situation, but it's also people are becoming numb to it. So even with a record-breaking fine like this, no one's going, oh, what a corrupt company. We should all leave JP Morgan Chase or something. Sometimes even when fines are announced that they're agreed upon, the stock can go up that same day. I don't know that that happened in this particular case, but it's an interesting thing because the certainty comes in. People know exactly how big this one-time expense they're called when they talk about earning calls and in financial statements and disclosures and things. They know how big this one-time expense is going to be so then they can invest confidently in the business. So got some interesting notes about fines and how they affect stocks there for you guys. Um, if you have any questions, you can always submit them to, to me and I can you know, unpack any of these things further. So if you hear me talk about something that sparks your interest, just let me know. I know these can be a little bit wandering sometimes because I'm going from uh, topic to topic. So if you ever want me to study a little more and do a more in-depth analysis of one of these topics, just let me know. The COVID economy carves deep divide between haves and have-nots. This is so true. They got an interesting graph here showing how people who make less than $16 an hour are down negative 25%. Oh, that's ugly. Earlier this year, they were close to negative 50% in a change in number of workers earning various wage ranges. So 25 or nearly 50% earning less than $16 an hour lost their job. Now it's at 25%. Whereas people who make more than $28 an hour are relatively unchanged. So really this virus disproportionately hit people who are earning less. It's a super sad part of the story. And something that I think the government, this is a great moment for government to step in and help people where, you know, raw economics are like a free market, quote unquote, is leaving them behind, in my opinion, because it's not these people's fault. I mean, you talk about a restaurant shutting down or something. So someone can't go, you know, be a cook or something like this and earn less than $16 an hour. What a terrible thing. You know, that's something someone was working hard at. And, and trust me, those people work way harder than most of us, right? Um, there, there's some question about their productivity or whatever, but how hard they work, that is not in question uh, when it comes to the value of what they do and, and their work ethic. I mean, you go into a kitchen, you will see people working hard. Believe me, my coworkers at Starbucks back in the day, they work hard at day in and day out. Right. So I really admire those people. And I just think it's nonsense. They're getting left behind because their businesses were artificially needing to close to keep all of us safe from a pandemic is the narrative anyways. And and I think that's a really sad thing. And I think this is a great place for the government to step in and do more. That's where, you know, like the unemployment benefits expiring has become a very controversial thing. But that's where it would help people like this who, you know, literally there's no restaurant, there's no bar for them to go back to. It's just kind of ridiculous. I mean, be a little empathetic, put yourself in their shoes. That just sucks. You know, I've seen some people be like, oh, well, they shouldn't have worked in that industry and stuff, but no one saw it coming that restaurants are going to close down. I mean, I think it's a good moment to be a little bit empathetic, to be honest. 
And apparently this is just going to widen the wealth disparity. I mean, the stock market is back, uh, you know, above where it was at the start of the pandemic. You know, lots of people made lots of money during this who could invest passively in stuff like this. And fortunes are being made. And, you know, I called that throughout this pandemic, that there are lots of people doing clever things and helping the world or shifting faster than other people and how they address consumers needs. And maybe they're just positioned well with tech already and they're capitalizing on that. So, I mean, lots of fortunes are being made and lots of people are getting left behind. I think that's something we need to be sensitive about. If you're a good business person, you want to strong consumer base. I always want to see everyone doing well. I want to see consumers with lots of money in their pocket because I'm confident that I can compete for that money. I'm confident that I can create real value legitimately for those consumers such that I can earn a living, right? And I think that you really want to see a strong worker. And if you see people with less than $16 an hour losing their job at a, tw- a rate of 25%, even this late into the pandemic and its progression, this should make all of us really nervous because that will reverberate throughout the economy. Those people normally are spending that money to help buy other services and driving demand so that other people can provide services to those companies that they're selling things to them. And it's just very obvious how this can spiral in a bad direction. That, that headline makes me nervous. But Nonetheless, let's move along. IRS investigating NRA's Wayne LaPierre for possible tax fraud. So that's the guy who runs the NRA. That's interesting. Might read more about that. It's interesting that would come up right before an election, too. I wonder what's going on, if there's anything with that timing. Sometimes people get their conspiracy theories and the tinfoil hats about that type of thing. Probably take a look at it. Uh, Let's see. CDC acknowledges COVID-19 can spread via tiny air particles. This is something where messaging from the CDC has kind of gone all over the place. You know, famously, it's should you wear a mask, should you not? That became a big point of controversy. Uh, now they're, they've kind of gone back and forth about what size particles can spread the virus. It's interesting. It's going to be fascinating in the coming years to see all the Monday night quarterbacking on the COVID virus, right? You know, to see what we could have done better, to see what we could have found out sooner, to see what's right and what's wrong. Uh, that's going to be really fascinating to see all that Monday night quarterbacking for years and years to come. This is a crazy thing to live through. And one day when you, we all look back on this together and can unite around the fact that we lived through 2020, it's going to be a real bonding moment. And talk about one for the history books. What a crazy year. I think it almost feels surreal and therefore a little less crazy in the moment than it's going to be when we look back on it in hindsight. Like when you read about this year in the history books, it is insane what has happened. I mean, only like major wars could disrupt the world unanimously. And even then there's some countries that aren't in them or whatever, right? Even like World War II, I mean, talk about pure disruption of the economy, the world, people's lives, uh, the balance of power, good and evil, X, Y, Z. But this is kind of on par with that, right? You know, it might get resolved faster than like World War II, for example, but it impacted so much further and universally so fast. And the shock of it was just crazy. And when you start to look at it in combination with the information age and the way that we spread news and, and spread fear as well as hope, it's just been a crazy year. It's really blown me away. Anyway, so let's move along. Biden's tax plan was for economic growth. Is a commentary article by Jason Furman. I'm definitely going to read that later. I'm interested to learn more about that. William McGurn says, don't underestimate Mike Pence. He's talking about uh, Pence and Kamala Harris, the vice presidents in this election. are uh, They have a debate coming up. I think it's next week, maybe the week after. It's going to be really fascinating to watch that um, because they can debate, right? <laughs> neither of them have COVID currently. Uh, and and I hope they neither of them do get it. Uh, but nonetheless, neither of them have it so far. So their debate will go on as planned. What a crazy thing there. That'll be a fun debate to watch. I'll break that down after the fact with you guys rather than getting into it now. Hopefully it has more civility than the presidential debate. I'll tell you that. 
Um, that was just a mess to watch. Oh, it was cringy, especially at certain moments. And when the personal insults started flying back and forth, ugh, it really was a low point for American politics. Most people agreed on that. That was just the worst debate of all time. And, and I tend to be of the same mind. Even the moderator couldn't get a word in. It just got crazy for a while there. I, I don't know how you fix it. I mean, people are talking about putting a mute button on the candidates that aren't speaking. I think that's kind of a good idea. I'll tell you one fun thing on that note. Go onto YouTube and watch some old debates. So they, they kept the footage and now it's converted to digital and it's on YouTube. So you can watch old presidential debates. You can see JFK debating. You can see even like Nixon debating and things like this. The civility that was in politics back then is insane compared to now. I mean, literally sometimes they would start rebuttals with, well, you know, I appreciate the point of view of my counterpart. However, here are the places I disagree with the kind sir or something like that. You know, it's like there was so much civility in it, even, even then when, relative to society, you know, everyone was calling politics dirty and, and divisive and, and angry and stuff like that. But it really was just a shadow compared to how objectively ugly our politics are today, how objectively divisive they are. It's really a fascinating thing to learn the devolution of that, right? How it devolved down and got worse and worse over the years is really a sad commentary because you would love to see that institution have class and to display real leadership for the rest of the country. I don't think you should under or you should not underestimate the power of the presidency and influencing the people of a country and the example that you can set in the office for everyone and the tone and the culture that can be built in a country based off of its leadership. I mean, people seek leadership. That's one of the core things I believe as an entrepreneur is that people seek strong leadership. They want to be a good, good follower to people that to things that they're not in charge of and responsible for, and feel like they can be responsible for the things that they are, but they want to be a good follower in the things they can't be in charge of. So like, I want to be a good follower of my country and help and contribute how I can. And for me, maybe one of my better contributions is the ability to pay taxes and generate value or jobs or something like that. So I try to do a really dutiful job of that as a citizen, right? Whereas like other people make much bigger sacrifices, like those who protect the country or those who do civil service and things like this, you know, and, and really what unites us in those different things is we want to see our country do well and we want to be good citizens. And I think the president can really influence how we do that together or how it drives a wedge. And we end up doing it separately, unfortunately, in certain years. And I think politics has just really devolved to a point where that's what's going on. It's just really, really sad. Um, let's move on to Bloomberg. Click over here. I covered the front page of the Wall Street Journal there. They've got a running ticker here of everything that's going on. Boy, they actually have like S&P futures up 1.6%. Wow. Dow Jones futures about flat, but up just barely. Euro stocks are up 0.92%. Man, their ticker is really good compared to... Uh, um, the Wall Street Journal. I'm impressed by this. And here's the S&P was up 1.8% today, like I mentioned earlier. So they have the, the close as well as futures on here. I really like, the more I look at Bloomberg, I really do. I mean, I've been watching them more and more and listening to their news more and more. I'd mentioned before that I think it's really good advice to get your news from multiple sources simultaneously. So like any day I look at the Wall Street Journal, I also look at Bloomberg or also look at another. And especially if you're looking at the more divisive ones like Fox News and CNN or things like that, that some don't even consider news at this point because of their biases, you definitely should be looking at other news. I love that quote that if you only understand your half the argument, you barely understand that. Uh, then what that's saying is that you barely understand half of the argument. If you only understand your half, you should always be seeking to look at the other side of things, to question what you don't know, to learn more and to grow. And I think the way that you consume news is a great way to do that because we do all get subconsciously programmed by what news uh, sources we choose. Anyways, so we... Uh, um, 
are going to get on to Bloomberg here. Their top thing, they're a little bit more liberal, you know, famously like Michael Bloomberg ran for a Democratic uh, nomination. So it's fair to say they're a little bit more left leaning than other uh, publications, particularly like the Wall Street Journal. So their top thing is Trump returns to the White House with COVID removing masks for a photo. So they're really emphasizing they took his mask off, which many people are going to criticize as irresponsible, I'm sure, since he has COVID-19. And, you know, that's kind of sending the at least the subtle message people are interpreting um, that you don't have to wear a mask. Now I tend to give the American people more credit, you know, that, that each of us are able to kind of, uh, look into threats and identify what the proper response is for us. And I think by and large news acts like people don't have much agency in this country anymore. What I mean by that is that they mean they, they, they insinuate that something like the president deciding to take off his mask is going to universally make the decision for everyone that you should or should not wear a mask. Right. And I think that people have more agency than that. They're capable of taking in facts and making decisions on their own. I, I think that people are learning how to adapt their sources for facts and sources for information in this new age of technology. But I do think that people have agency. And at the end of the day, I believe in the American people and their intelligence and their ability to parse things apart collectively, sometimes we do dumb things as a country and uh, maybe not make the best decisions. But nonetheless, you know, we, we learn over time and we grow over time. And I like to keep that positive point of view. So I don't love that they're highlighting front and center, like in this bold headline, removing mass for photo that shows a little bias to me. It makes me a little bit skeptical of their point of view when I read about politics, when I see things like that. Again, it's not like I'm not going to read Bloomberg or, or call them a liberal rag or something like that. But it's just, you know, I'm looking out for biases to make sure I'm reading publications through that lens and making sure I'm parsing the facts. So that's how I look at that. Biden says Trump was reckless. U.S. trends worsen. Virus update. Again, I'm not going to click on that and read you any details, but Biden, I guess, called Trump reckless, as you would expect would happen with how dirty politics are today. Uh, Regeneron antibody cocktail used by Trump faces patent suit. That's interesting. So if you hold a Regeneron stock, you'll definitely want to read that one. I wonder what's going on there. Trump's VIP medical care could do more harm than good. Huh? I wonder what their angle is on that. I'm actually going to click on that just to read a little more and tell you guys. Treating well-known patients can push doctors to be aggressive. No clear evidence on taking several COVID therapies at once. That's a good point. So, you know, they're going to pull out all the stops. If you look at a doctor, there's no way they're going to risk, you know, being criticized about their care of the president of the United States of America. So that's why, you know, he famously said, I hospitalized him for that reason. You know, even if he didn't need hospitalization the way your average citizen, what is the president of the United States? Of course, you can do everything you could to save him, Right. And frankly, I want, no matter what your politics are, I want the president of the United States to get special medical care. I'm sorry. It's just true. You know, like also I don't get bodyguards, you know, like, uh, hundreds of them who are well-trained to fall around and take bullets for me. So I accept that not only does he get that level of protection, he also gets some extra medical care. It's a little bit more important if he recovers from the virus than like me, for example. Right. So I, I understand that. Um, but they're saying that his VIP medical care could do more harm than good in that case. What they're saying is that, you know, if you're treating someone well-known, you might get a little more aggressive. And that is true with doctors, right? That, that they try their best to be biased, but boy, it's probably got away. They're just human. You know, it's got away on the back of your mind of why well, I got to pull out all the stops or X, Y, Z. It's kind of an interesting point. There's also a propensity probably for listening to them and letting their decisions weigh in a little bit more. I mean, it'd be really difficult to have a level of authority over the president of the United States of America, literally the most powerful position, arguably in the world, certainly United States, to have that person look at you and say, no, I want this. How are you going to look at them and say, no, you don't want that. You're getting this. I mean, that I'm sure the doctors are able to stand their ground and, and be confident in their medical skills. And, and if he had a terrible idea, they'd got him away from that. But certainly it is shown in studies that 
Doctors can be influenced by what their patients demand. That's why you see so many ads for big pharma, because they know that if you go in and demand a certain drug, then the doctor's going to be more likely to give you that drug. They do this stuff because it works. So whether you think it's right, wrong, or whether you think certain doctors are above it, it is fact that on average that does work and, and patient influence is a real and measurable thing. And there's studies about it. You can read up on it, but it's just a fact. Um, so it, it is interesting to think for a moment, what impact could the president of the United States have on his own care with a doctor? <laughs> it blows my mind. I imagine a lot. I'm going I'm to speculate and say he probably can, he can probably move the needle a bit, especially how outspoken he is. Right. Bombshell on bribe claims threatens states. Google probe. Interesting. The Texas AG who is leading the probe is accused of bribery. Whoa. I definitely want to read that. This has all the trappings of an entertaining saga here. The multi-state investigation of Alphabet's Google is at risk of splintering further after Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who is leading the probe, was accused by his senior aides of potential crimes, including bribery. He fired back against the allegations Monday, saying they're false, came from rogue employees, and he won't step down. The Democratic Attorneys General Association on Sunday called on Paxton to resign, saying the allegations by seven top officials from his office threatened their joint work, which includes a bipartisan probe into whether Google is violating antitrust laws. This is crazy. As a Google shareholder, I'm really interested in this article. Any allegation that bribes are accepted demands a serious review of Paxton's influence and decisions regarding cases and settlements involving his office. Fascinating. Splits in the state coalition were already surfacing before the allegations against Paxton. With the Justice Department preparing to file its own lawsuit against Google within the next two weeks, some attorneys generals are urging their colleagues not to join the federal case and instead work with another group led by the state of Colorado and Iowa, pursuing their own separate investigation. It's really interesting when you start to read up on how these big investigations affect big corporations, but also how they're structured. You know, like that was just mentioning that states have the option to file suits in tandem with the federal government. As a business guy, I kind of hate that. I think you should only have to face one entity about the same allegation. It's really difficult to parse all these different lawsuits with their different nuances and different evidence that's admitted and not. If you look at the legal system, it really is set up for lawyers to be able to grind it out and um, complicate things, maybe you could put it. So it'd be really difficult to be under investigation for the same crime by different agencies simultaneously. It'd be a lot for for you to unpack and very expensive for the businesses, very burdensome. So that's kind of an interesting thing. In my opinion, I don't think they should be able to do that. This should be, it feels like double jeopardy, right? Which is the concept that like once you're tried for one crime, you can't be tried for the same crime again. So if you get accused of murder and then you, it turns out you didn't murder them and you get acquitted, then they shouldn't be able to come back and file the same suit and put you through that hell again and maybe get a different outcome. It's just unfair. I think the same thing's kind of true with simultaneously pursuing lawsuits that are near identical from the state and the fed. I think that's kind of tough for the company in that case. I'm a little bit on the company's side. I'm probably biased about that anyways, but, uh, I'm on the company side with that one. Boy, that's fascinating. I'm gonna read more about that after this podcast. That's really interesting. COVID-19 making a dangerous comeback in most parts of the U S this is really interesting because other countries are starting to shut down again, the shutdowns, no matter what you think about their effectiveness or are they good or whatever, right? They, they are very tough for the economy and therefore they're very bad for the stock market, or I should say bad for the stock market. They depress the stock market. The stock market would go down in that case. So shorts would do well, but people who are long, we get crushed. So you really want to watch and see our government's going to shut down again. One concern about if Biden wins is that he ruminated in the first um, debate and people suppose that he would be more likely to shut down the economy and that he might be an advocate for that. I don't know that he's explicitly said that he would, but he kind of like uh, there's speculation about that after the debate. So 
you know, if he gets elected, there's probably is an increased likelihood, all things being equal of a federal shutdown of the U S again over COVID. So even if that's a good idea, you know, putting that side of the argument aside, that would really affect stocks. We're starting to see other countries go into stricter lockdown. Uh, like Israel, I mentioned, I think on the last podcast, I saw that France did as well. They closed their bars in France. I don't know that they, at least in Paris, but I don't know if they, they didn't close restaurants, I don't think, and things like this, but they put more restrictions in place. So you're starting to see the ebb and flow of this thing. Over the summer, we saw a lot of uh, uh, restrictions globally get lifted and a lot of uh, a lot of lockdowns lifted. Now we're starting to see signs that they could resurge. That's really worth watching if you're involved in business in any case, right? Especially if you like own a restaurant or something like that, that's really vulnerable to it. But also for those of you like me who are invested in the stock market, we're watching that closely. Let's see. Boy, lots of great opinion articles here. These are kind of interesting. Dave Portnoy's pivot to stocks from sports. He's the guy who started Barstool Sports and famously he's been picking stocks and people are uh, really criticizing him for that, I guess. And also celebrating that. There's lots of people who follow his trades or even mimic them directly just because he said to do it. <laughs> it's been kind of a funny thing to watch. That'd be fun to keep an eye on. What else we got? What else we got? American tech workers face pay cuts for re relocating during COVID. Interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that. It kind of makes sense. One thing is that headquarters are getting shut down. There's more of this work from home push. Interestingly, work from home's gotten a lot of criticism and push back that lots of CEOs are starting to come out and say, this is not as effective. It's kind of been our experience in our business that's not quite as effective for people to work decentralized and from home all the time compared to having them in a headquarters. And other people are starting to mimic that, especially big employers. I think Reed Hastings was one of the early ones to come out and say, no, at Netflix, he's the CEO of Netflix. And, and he's saying at Netflix, we need everyone back in the headquarters as soon as it's you know, safe. And, uh, here is where they're starting to say there's pay consequences for it. Some people were speculating that when the work from home thing happened, that maybe there would be pay cuts because it's better to work from home. You know, you don't have to commute. You don't have the expense of that. You don't have the pain of that. It's more desirable to work from home. So logically that might depress wages over time. So that's been kind of an interesting debate for employers about how they should handle that. Here's where the article says, Mark Zuckerberg said at first, other tech leaders are now chiming in, sending the same message to their software developers in Silicon Valley. Don't worry about returning to the office, they say, at least not right, not right now, perhaps never. And if you want to move somewhere cheaper, go ahead, but be ready to take a pay cut. See, that's interesting. If remote work goes from a nice perk to a permit state for legions of computer engineers and others, does it still make sense to set pay depending on where they, at least in theory, could be asked to clock in from the office? So what this is talking about, and this is true in my company, is that different cities, even for the same credential, the same job, uh, have different prevailing wages because the cost of living uh, is obviously different city to city. In one extreme like San Francisco costs a lot more to live in than my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. So a registered nurse doing the same job in San Francisco makes close to double what someone does in Memphis. Uh, especially in emergency rooms and things like that. That's kind of true where the prevailing wage in Memphis might be $35 an hour on average. Whereas in hospitals, you know, I've heard of people making a hundred dollars an hour in certain shifts of an ER in uh, um, San Francisco. So same exact job, maybe making up to triple the hourly wage of what their counterparts make in other parts of the country. So that's what this is saying is that based off of where you clock in, maybe you should get a wage that's commensurate with the cost of living of that place. That's pretty fascinating. That'll be an interesting thing to watch. The debate was a long time coming, said Dan Walter, a managing consultant at FutureSense which helps companies with personnel matters and it should have dealt with before everybody moved to remote work. Well, yeah, but there's no way for you to deal with that ahead of time. Give me a break. You know, how are you supposed to know about the pandemic and that everyone was going to start working remotely? You don't have contingency plans already rolled out for that. 
Fascinating though. What a crazy time overall. You know, I'm a, I'm gonna probably wrap this up now because that's a lot for you guys to digest a lot to chew. I probably should be doing these more frequently, especially with all these crazy developments and what's going on in the world and the presidential election. And gosh, I'm, I'm getting worn down with this stuff, guys. There's just been so much controversy. What a crazy year. I think we all need a drink and a vacation after 2020. <laughs> I hope you guys are holding up. I hope you're taking time for a little bit of self-care. I certainly am. I'm trying to get some rest and relaxation in wherever I can. Hanging out with my beautiful girlfriend. And uh, we've been doing some fun trips and stuff like that. You know, just trying to take care of yourself. Uh, I found for a moment there during all this, to be honest, you know, self-evaluation, I was getting a little more irritable. I was feeling short on time. I was feeling like, you know, long hours at work, going into trying to balance other aspects of my life, social considerations, even my move that I've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times. It's been a really crazy year for me personally and for everyone, right? And thank God I've, I've managed to keep my health uh, together during all this. But, uh, man, my heart just goes out to those who don't. And there's been so much heartbreak in the world this year. It's just been crazy. I think I'm going to try to do more of these news rundowns because of that, especially, like I said, going into the election. Let me know what you guys think. You know, if you want me to talk about anything specifically, like I mentioned, I can unpack specific things further. Or if you have any advice for me on how I can do better on this podcast, I'd love to know. I know there are lots of great ways to entertain yourself, not the least of which are a bunch of great podcasts. So thank you for taking the time to talk to little old me. Talk at you soon.